now with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Good afternoon, everyone, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always been in you from the very, very beginning. Very excited to be with you here today and every other Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time. And uh, every other week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health. And you would think that uh, those two topics are mutually exclusive from one another, but that is simply not true because uh, it seems like when, you know, some people are more inclined to be all spiritual and then there's some people who are more inclined to be all scientific with the mental health and the psychology and so forth. But interestingly enough, when we combine these two disciplines together, it opens up a whole world of understanding, a deeper level of understanding of how this integration of spirituality and our mental health often results in a very wonderful life transformation. I am Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit the website. That's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. That's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And if you would uh, like to be part of the show today, I invite you to call in. That's a toll-free number. It's 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And just in case you can't spend the whole hour with me today, that's okay. Don't sweat it. You can always these you know, you can always go back into the archives and listen to these previous shows because these broadcasts are now podcasted. And all you need to do is just go on the website like I had just given you. And um, you just click on the button where it says Ar archived shows and you can pull up anyone that you might have missed or you can go back and listen to the ones that you did hear, you know, if you want to visit them again. <clears throat> well, for those of you who are new to the program, I want to say that I am a firm believer that all of us, and I do mean all of us, come into the world already equipped and graced with everything we need for in this life in terms of our skills, our talents, our strengths, our character traits, our giftedness, so on and so forth. We come into the world with all of these, or as I like to share with the clients, like you have everything you need in terms of your being the best part of you. It's just a matter of going in and discovering who you are. But you and I both know that sometimes we go along in this life and maybe due to some unpleasant experiences, we'll just leave it at that for now, but um, you know, we may tend to hide our giftedness or we may not think that we have any skills or we've never been given permission to explore or use 
our talents or our strengths, or we've been told that our character traits just aren't what others expect it to be. And so we tend to push that giftedness, those skills, those talents way down, you know, inside of us so that others cannot see them, perhaps exploit them. But then we go along through life and we're miserable. And we often wonder, well, is there any good in me? Is there any kindness in me? Is there any giftedness in me? Do I have any talent? Do I have any skills and so forth? Um, or, you know, perhaps we were told that we would never amount to anything. And we started to hear that over and over again. And then we started to internalize it and it became guilt and shame and other things that just kept us in a wounded, uh, emotionally, mentally, physically, perhaps even spiritual woundedness. Well, at any rate, uh, when we do not realize our giftedness, we often go through life functioning from that place of woundedness. And we're miserable, like I said, and we are confused. And we're always searching for the next big thing to fill that emptiness inside of us. And, um, you know, instead, we should be living our lives from a place of healing and wholeness and hachetas. It's a Latin word for uniqueness. And uh, way back in the 1200s, I believe it was, uh, John Dun Scotus, he coined this phrase, a uniqueness. It's a thisness that we all have. And so, in other words, I'll put it to you this way, that no matter what you do, let's say Mary has a certain skill to do a certain job, like maybe she's an excellent weaver. And, you know, there's other weavers out there, but nobody can do it quite like Mary because she has this thisness to her and she puts that thisness into her whole work or in other words it's her merryness about everything that she says and does there's a uniqueness that comes across and certainly there is so much more to us than what we have become so far and this is what reclaiming authenticity is clearly all about helping people to find the courage that they've already have helping them to have the courage to reclaim that which has always been in them. Well, I welcome you to today's show, Listening With Your Soul, Being in Silence. Just being in silence. And how is everybody doing this day after Thanksgiving, the traditional Black Friday? I trust everyone had a safe and pleasant Thanksgiving. Yeah, I hope you know if you're like me, you just look in the refrigerator and you got plenty of leftovers. So I don't have to worry about what's for dinner tonight because you are looking at it. So uh, whether you're out shopping and listening to this in the car or even on the computer or your phone or at home taking advantage of cyber sales, uh, please continue to be safe. And by all means, let's behave ourselves out there. Okay. Remember, it was only yesterday when we sat down and gave thanks. And now it's our chance today to live that out. Okay. And we live it out through the relationships that we have. Even people we may meet for just the very first time out there standing in line or looking over sizes and sales and so forth. So let's talk about a subject that most people are uncomfortable with namely silence. Now, after today, if you're out shopping, I'm sure you can't wait to get home and decompress, relax, 
and just enjoy some peace and quiet. Yeah, we all have been there. But craving some peace and quiet is not exactly the same thing as being in silence. And how so? Well, you think that quiet and silence and peace are the same thing, and not quite. Because when we think about the word quiet, we may tend to think that it is the absence of sound, or at least stifling the noise around us. Um, We even have noise-canceling earphones and earbuds and so forth. And these are helpful in eliminating background sound, which allows us to work from home or be on conference calls without all the distractions or perhaps maybe we are listening to music more fully without any interference. Well, if you don't have a pair of these noise-canceling earphones or earbuds, I highly recommend you add that to your list for Santa Claus this year, okay? Uh, We are exactly 30 days out, one month to go. So before you know it, Santa Claus will be here. So get that on your list. They make excellent stocking stuffers, depending on how large your stocking stuffer, uh, you know, your stocking can be stuffed, shall we say. Well, anyway, that's quiet. Okay, But silence, on the other hand, is different. Because if we look at it in terms of a spiritual or meditative sense, silence is intentionally entering into a state of inner peace and tranquility. Because it's more than just quieting our minds by dismissing all of the checklists of things that we have to do. You know, just I'm sure if you've ever started... um, Uh, meditating, or if you're an old pro at it, one of the first things you really have to to get beyond is just quieting that mind or settling down the monkey mind, because it's just running all over the place, just like a bunch of monkeys. And we're going through checklists that like, okay, after this, I have to do that. And I have to go pick up dry cleaning. And then I have to get ready for dinner. Then I have to pick up the kids and I have to, you know, our minds just race. Even at the end of the day, when our heads hit the pillow, our minds race over, did I have a chance to do everything? I should have done that differently. Maybe I shouldn't have responded the way I, you know, it just keeps going and going and going. Okay. So silence is more than just quieting our minds. Okay. But really entering into silence is more intentional because we seek to communicate with God on a soul level. It's, it's a, a place or a state where words are not necessary, let alone, I firmly believe that words can simply not follow when we communicate with God on that soul level. And this is when we discover that human language is actually a hindrance to listening to the cry of the soul. <clears throat> you see, we can be in prayer, okay? But if our minds are racing a mile a minute, We're not in silence. Now, I'll be the first to admit that the word quiet and silence, those two words, are often interchangeable in the mind of society. And I did a little checking earlier this week uh, because I've often heard it said that there is sound in silence. And maybe I'm just being nostalgic because I remember the old Simon and Garfunkel song, The Sound of Silence. But does silence have sound? 
it all depends on who you ask, you know, because there's many interpretations out there of sound and silence. Uh, for example, according to uh, Dr. Seth Horowitz of Brown University, he writes in his book, Universal Sense, he says, in truly quiet areas, you can even hear the sound of air molecules vibrating inside your ear canals or the fluid in your ears themselves. Or others may interpret silence as a moment when something is left unsaid because words themselves are unnecessary. It could cause a gap in the conversation when silence itself replaces words. And silence can also be an indication of empathy. When we are really tuning in to how another person is feeling about what they're saying, we're listening more to the tone of their voice and speed rather than the actual words. As in, there is an awareness of pain and suffering in others that is so deep that words cannot express it adequately. I run into this time and time again when people have suffered the loss of a loved one or they want to go pay their respects because a neighbor had died or, say, a distant relative or even a close friend's family member had died. They feel as though when they go through the, for lack of a better word, receiving line, when they go through this receiving line at the funeral or the viewing, <clears throat> they feel as though they have to say something that it's such an awkward feeling if you go through the line and you have nothing to say to the family, such as I'm sorry or some other rational explanation, which often does more harm than good. But, you know, a lot of people still wrestle with silence. And it's ironically, again, people will not remember what you say to them unless you really blow it and say something stupid and really hurt their feelings, people will remember your presence more. The times we don't open our mouths, the times that we are there, the times when our empathy is strong and we can just be with a person as we look into their eyes and just gently nod our head or give them a hug and just through that kind of body language, let them know that we suffer with them. So in a sense, you can say that silence has sound, but more accurately, silence has vibration. It's a vibration that can not only be heard by our ears and interpreted in our minds, but it's also a vibration that can be felt deep within. And it's this characteristic of silence that requires no words. But, you know, just as we have the capacity for language, we also have the same capacity for vibration. And this is why we need to realize that when we choose the words we say, they too carry with them not only the sound of energy with them. With our words and our energy, we do have the power to heal or the power to wound. So choose your words carefully. If uh, you remember the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, this was, oh gosh, I would say it came out in the 90s, somewhere around there. 
um, Mr. Holland's Opus. If you have not seen it, I highly recommend it. If you're looking to do something this uh, extended Thanksgiving Day weekend, pull that up on Netflix or Amazon Prime. You'll be able to find it, and you will really enjoy it. It is such a great movie. So uh, with Mr. Holland's Opus in the movie, you recall that Mr. Holland was a music teacher. He's a lover of music. That was his whole world. And ironically, he had a son who was born without the sense of hearing. And as his son grew up, his son, ironically, loved to work on older cars. I mean, he did newer cars too, but he was just a great mechanic. And he used a mechanic's stethoscope to listen to the engine's vibration. And he would be able to feel if the engine was running smoothly or if something in the engine was misfiring or whatever the uh, problem was. And an underlying but very subtle message in the movie was that human beings can be attuned to higher and higher vibrations that connect us with higher parts of ourselves. And this even helped Mr. Holland in the movie put on a high school concert in which the sounds of his orchestra were hooked up to bright lights so that every note, every drum beat, even the clash of cymbals resonated with exploding flashes of colorful lights. It was truly astonishing to listen and watch. Well, it's true. We can feel sound. We can feel silence. Because after a sound is produced, the vibration continues. We can even listen to our own heartbeats through a stethoscope. But more importantly, we feel the vibration of our hearts. And when we experience, let's say, forgiveness and able to release the negative energy and pain that we've been hanging on to, those aspects that are of ourselves that no longer serve us, we tune into higher frequencies or higher vibrations, as it were. And, and think of it as a, a music tuner using a tuning fork by first striking the prongs and thereby releasing a perfect wave pattern, and then adjusting the sound of an instrument so that the two vibrations are in sync. It's the coolest thing if you've never tuned an instrument uh, or used a, a tuning fork It is uh, quite fascinating when the two vibrations come into sync with each other. And um, uh, even scripture reminds us of the importance of entering into silence through prayer and meditation so that we can benefit from that attunement. And clearly, vibration takes us into another level of awareness. In fact, this is what the gurus and the swamis and the yogis teach that in order to find God, you must first know how to enter into silence. Now, many ancient and contemporary practitioners of meditation often use chanting of sacred sounds to help them to be in sync with higher vibrations, such as chanting the sacred sound of Aum. Well, back in the 90s, I remember how science was slowly discovering that whenever we chant OM, a vibration of sound is felt through your vocal cords that clears and opens up the sinuses. 
they also discovered that chanting Om also has cardiovascular benefits. <clears throat> it reduces stress and it relaxes your body. That brings down the blood pressure on the normal level and the heartbeats with the regular rhythm. So the more we are attuned with the presence of God, the more that we sit in silence, or even the times when we chant Om for long periods of time, it does create not just the health benefits, but it also um, helps us, like a tuning fork, uh, tune into sync with the other uh, energy wave patterns out there, if I can say that properly, uh, that we are more attuned to the higher vibrations and the sounds. Okay. And so the more we are attuned with the presence of God, certainly the more we experience uh, what uh, Sardello calls an empathetic resonance, an empathetic resonance. It's the resonance of our soul coming into the resonance with the soul of God. Remember, tuning fork here. Em empathetic resonance. It's the resonance of our soul coming into the resonance with the soul of God. And what we discover in being more fully connected to the soul of God then is that we are connected to things that bring us great joy, as well as being connected to things that are disturbing and cause us great suffering. But still, we embrace all to be an extension of God's presence or God's grace and healing for people who are still looking and listening for God's presence, grace, and healing. In other words, let me put it this way. We embrace all things in order to create a space for transformation to occur in all persons. And as transforming people... We just simply cannot pick and choose when, where, why, and how God will use us. Uh, it's very tempting to do. Uh, but instead, since we expect that God is more than able to understand and embrace all aspects of our lives, then should we not also be willing to be the same for ourselves and others? Okay, so this is what I mean by this. For example, if we want to be used by God as healers, okay, it should not come as a surprise that we're going to be placed in those circumstances where there is a lot of pain and sorrow and suffering. And if we want God to grant us that ancient wisdom, it should not come as any surprise that we're going to be placed in situations where people are impulsive and lack insight. And if we really want God to use us as peacemakers, then it should come as no surprise that we'll be placed in times of war and chaos, confusion, even times of death and dying. In fact, to work for peace, we may have to expose ourselves to non-peaceful situations. And the same is true that if we work to become more and more authentic, right, then we're going to find ourselves at times being exposed to inauthentic people and situations. And the question for us then remains, is when we listen for God, what do we hear? See, moreover, contemplation helps us reclaim our authentic selves as the silence awakens the deepest desires of our soul. Now, 
before I even fully understood the value of contemplation, I viewed silence as only the absence of noise. But it was much more than that. I said, well, this is the absence of noise, but it's also the absence of God. I mean, to be quite honest, I knew that silence was there, but I just didn't know how to enter it or how to listen for God in silence. And just back then, my mind and my ego couldn't comprehend how God communicates when I hear nothing. And I'm not alone with that. Many people struggle with, when I cry out to God, I hear nothing. In fact, in some ways, I was like David in Psalm 22, where David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you don't answer. By night, I find no rest. And although most people are uncomfortable with silence or they convince themselves that God is uninterested in their circumstances. But silence is actually where we connect with the living presence of God. See, we don't simply enter into the silence just for the sake of ridding ourselves of whatever sounds of the day we want to escape. Clearly, many people see this as a welcomed relief. But on the contrary, we purposefully enter into the silence of God in order to experience this empathetic resonance more clearly. Now, to let's take this for a deeper level here. Let's go down a little deeper just to further grasp this truth. Let's contemplate here. Let's just think about the silence of water. If you've ever noticed, water is, dare I say, the epitome of silence. Because water only makes a sound when it's moving against another surface, such as being poured into a glass or even when we swallow it, or it's running over rocks or crashing against the shore when the wind creates its waves. And yet, when it is still, the inaudible silence of water communicates how it is filled with life that gives life to all who depend upon it. And again, I recommend another great movie that communicates this truth. It's uh, a film that was made in 2013. It was called The Cherokee Word for Water. The Cherokee Word for Water. Uh, And this uh, movie followed the work that led Wilma Mankiller to become the first contemporary female chief of the Cherokee Nation. Highly recommended. Great, great spiritual movie. Great depth there. So here's a great exercise, Um, just something you can do different times of the day. The next time you drink water, meditate on its characteristics of light and the sound that it makes. Just think about how the molecular structure of water, which is H2O, gives life to our human breath, which is made up of O2 and CO2. We breathe in oxygen, we exhale carbon Okay, carbon dioxide. Uh, Now consider how God has breathed life into us and where we feel the, the breath and the matter and movement of God in our life. And just sit with that and just meditate on the fact that water is indeed liquid light. And let's go a little bit deeper with this. Let's let's take this understanding one step further. 
that as we swallow water, you know, enter into a silence of gratitude for its life-giving properties. We deeply connect with how the essence of water helps us discover our inner voice so that we can be a voice for those who have no water, let alone who are unable to speak. Yeah, there's, there's times we crave quiet, and we can certainly be uncomfortable with silence. But we must not only become comfortable with silence, but also being comfortable in silence. There's more to silence than just waiting to talk. In counseling therapy, uh, found that when a client is silent, it's often, you know, understood or even, I dare say, misunderstood as the client displaying some form of inner resistance, you know, of not wanting to talk as an act of defiance. But this isn't always the case, because if there's one lesson that I've learned over the years, it's that suffering and silence often go hand in hand. And this is also another way to understand the vibration of silence, that when a person or a people are forced into silence and believe they have no voice. How do we reach beyond those stories into the silences that they hide? Well, we can listen for what is not being said, as well as what cannot be said. And we can just simply be there in that silence and hold the space for another stories to emerge. And this was something, it was a phenomenon, uh, phenomena, I should say, that uh, the author Urvashi Butalia understood all well. Uh, she had written a book uh, entitled The Other Side of Silence. The Other Side of Silence. And the author's last name is Butalia. Um, and uh, she wrote about how 50 years later, the people of India and Pakistan still grieved the partition of 1947. You know, that was when, you know, uh, India gained its uh, independence from uh, England. And uh, they drew lines of where, you know, the borders of India and Pakistan would be. And it was called the Great Partition. And uh, she also noticed and that when people she interviewed about how their lives changed during that time and how life has changed for them, she noticed that the men and women not only told their stories differently, but she also noticed how the women had more periods of silence in their stories. And this is, you know, this is what she means by this. She goes, for instance, if husbands or sons were around when the women would talk, they would take over the interview, making women lapse into a sort of silence. And she noted that this was not uncommon because many oral histories have been written about the difficulty of speaking to and with women, of learning to listen differently, often listening to the hidden nuances, or as she says, the half-said thing. And all in all, it, it was the silence, which was sometimes more eloquent than speech. Well, I'd really love to hear what's on your heart about this subject. So again, if you'd like to call in, that number is 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after this break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. And I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. 
I'll be back with you in one minute. Welcome back. I am Dr. James Hauk, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Well, earlier in the show, I was talking about being in silence by listening to the soul. And one of my favorite quotes comes from the book, The Alchemist. And I'm sure if you've been listening to me for some time, you know exactly what that quote is. And it is that when you want something, all the universe conspires in helping you to achieve it. Each thing has to transform itself into something better and to acquire a new personal legend until someday the soul of the world becomes one thing only. Now, later on in the book, there's another great quote that sums up people's fears as they you know, they carry these fears in their hearts. It's uh, when the the main character, Santiago, the shepherd boy, is uh, having a discussion with his heart. And he is trying to come to terms with the fears that he feels deeply. And as he listens to his heart, he hears it say that people are afraid to pursue their most important dreams because they simply feel they don't deserve them or that they will be unable to achieve them. And we, their hearts, become fearful, just thinking of loved ones who go away forever, or of moments that could have been good but weren't, or of treasures that might have been found but were forever hidden in the sands. Or, let's put it in more contemporary language, what dies inside a person while they live? See, we live in a three-dimensional world, uh, a world which is governed by time and space and structures and form. We also live in a chronological order of linear time, consisting of past, present, and future. And this uh, time is experienced through our five senses of sight, sound, touch, smell, and taste. And we are often pulled in the direction of our opposites, such as how we are loved, or how are we not loved? What do we have? Or what do we not have? How we connect? Or how do we disconnect? And are we good? Or are we bad? And we perceive things and people, I might add, as being good or bad, and things as right or wrong, or it's black and white, all in duality. 
And these polarities are actually a state of being or of in limited perception. And perhaps we often want to connect with God on this lower level of awareness. Okay? And many people have. But there is one thing that Scripture often emphasizes, that God is more than happy to meet us where we are. But I guarantee you that it is not God's ultimate desire for us to remain there. I mean, there's so much more for us to realize about ourselves, God, the universe. So, in other words, we ain't seen nothing yet. So, the first step in raising our awareness, that is, becoming attuned to say, let's say the vibration of 432 megahertz, okay? Uh, it's to understand that we are not the body, but rather we are souls within the form of the body. You know, God certainly knew us before we were born. God knows everything about us, and yet we have yet to realize this in ourselves, to see ourselves as souls living in this world. And this is more in line with who we truly are. And this may be especially difficult to grasp at first, because no matter um, you know, how high our spiritual awareness or spiritual attunement becomes, we're still, sooner or later, going to have to contend with the physical form that gets hungry and contends with illnesses and diseases and feels pain and needs to bathe. In fact, there is still work to be done and food to be grown and distributed and prepared and enjoyed. Medicines are needed to be developed and people need to be educated and trained in how the body works as well as how to treat the body when it doesn't work. And certainly, we need to take care of the body as that vessel that houses our soul. But still... What makes the difference between identifying as merely a physical body, a physical form, rather than a soul, is that we no longer choose to live in fear of everyday life, let alone the dying process, because we are eternal. We can walk each day and interact with others, knowing that there is more to this life than what our senses can identify. Because what we see and hear and touch and taste and smell is very beautiful and good, but it's temporary. Everything else we do not see and hear and touch and taste and smell is eternal. It's true. Our, our bodies also go through a change as our heightened spiritual awareness increases, as we become more comfortable in just being in silence and listening with our souls. And we need to honor that because we often go through shifts in our awareness that may cause us to become, let's say, more tired at times, more fatigued, or more sensitive towards light or sound or temperature. And we may go through states of hunger or no appetite. We may even think we are going crazy. But all of these experiences in the body, within the physical form, means that we're shifting into a higher consciousness. And the body has to adjust in order to handle that kind of vibration. And for me, it feels as though time speeds up, and I often become more sensitive to noise. Um, you know, we may feel even lighter, which has nothing to do with the bathroom scale, mind you, okay? 
But uh, how we shift into an increased spiritual experience or, or that presence with God, you know, that empathetic resonance, you know, keep in mind the tuning fork again here. Um, and how does this shift affect us physically? And just how and where is it most notable? In the brainwave activity? In lower blood pressure? I mean, how does our DNA shift on a cellular level? And we already know that meditation and entering into silence decreases blood pressure, lowers heart rate, respiration, helps us sleep more soundly, releases more oxytocin and endorphins, et cetera, et cetera. And interestingly enough, research in the area of uh, near-death experiences has shown to affect people in terms of an emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual, often coined as the benign virus, that they have such a radical shift in their awareness and their desires and so forth. You know, they just, they're not the same person as they were when they had their near-death experience. They come back, and for whatever reason, they are more loving. They are more forgiving. They typically have no interest in being competitive because they have seen, they have heard, they have experienced on a whole new level things that just, uh, this world cannot provide. They realize that they are so much more than a physical body. That they are ultimately a soul. But what is this shift that occurs in us moving from carbon energy to crystalline energy or crystalline energy? And it actually involves a releasing of unnecessary, unneeded energies. You know, the, the, just that, that energy that we've been carrying around that just weighs us down and replacing them with higher vibrations of love and light, forgiveness and grace. And crystalline energy is the energy of light and love, which means that anything that is not in alignment or attuned with love and with our higher vibrational cells, will eventually gradually fade away. I mean, as a society, we already know that cell memory occurs when we hold trauma in the body. You know, it, it can change, you know, our cells, our genes. And this is the study of epigenetics. And studies came out of traumatic experiences of World War II, as well as other atrocities, whereby the trauma was kind of stamped on a person's DNA and their past along to future generations. This is what I clearly seen in intergenerational trauma and complex trauma. But you know, when we shift into higher consciousness or vibration, that too creates a change in our DNA that can actually break up trauma that has altered our genes. And the same thing is true with our mental health. And, uh, you know, there is such a thing as crystallized intelligence, which encompasses everything that we have learned, all of our experiences, everything that we've heard, everything that we've tasted, emotions that we have felt, positive core memories and negative core memories. And all of these experiences are held in this crystallized intelligence 
which has been shown to become stronger and more resilient over time. You know, and this is why listening to the stories from our elders is so crucial for every generation, because within those experiences come precious wisdom teachings that we need to integrate into our lives. But even within something so strong as our crystallized intelligence, there are also unhealthy patterns of behaviors and distorted perceptions that need to be dissolved and released, forgiven, and let go of. And you're never too old to experience this radical shift in your vibrational awareness of your vast self, who you are as a soul. And certainly, these vibrational shifts can show up in relationships. You know, um, more people become more loving, more patient, more forgiving, and not just with others, but also with ourselves. And when we ascend, it affects us physically. Because whenever we reach out to the physical needs of another, it always has a spiritual effect or awakening on some level. In other words, let's say you feed a person physically, their soul is touched as well. And as we begin this process of a higher dimension relationship with God, let's not kid ourselves. We're going to be reminded of all the negative psychological, emotional, and spiritual patterns within our relationships that keep us stuck in the past. But really, it's a daily surrender or saying yes to connecting with God on these higher levels, to being led by our soul's desires that connect us with God and the universe. And we can let go of the former in order to take on the more life-giving by changing the energy of those things. We can let go more easily because we're no longer controlled by fear. We can let that go but compelled out of everlasting life and grace. I mean, before, you know, you've heard me say, you know, I've shared with you the metaphor of the fire of transformation. And as we sit with ourselves and our negative thoughts, emotions, and so forth, they they come up, you know, to our awareness. We can send that energy into the fire to be transformed. We can just imagine that we can even do this if we're sitting in a motel room, hotel room, at home, wherever. We can just imagine like there is a fire off to our right. We can send those things into the fire that have diminished the mental, emotional, the physical, and the spiritual body. What are those things that weigh us down in those areas? We can just send them into the fire. But, you know, sending those things out, we need to be reminded that those things, those negative things, need to be transformed. Not to be sent into the earth, okay? I know there's teachings out there that we just send those things into the earth, but I truly believe that the earth can no longer absorb that much negative energy. Instead, just as a fire transforms wood into ash and dust and, you know, gas, etc., so it goes up into the universe, only to come back into the form of rain and snow. 
And so when we send, you know, our negative energy out into the fire, we can also ask that that negative energy, let's say that unforgiveness that has weighed us down and really just been taxing us emotionally and mentally, when we send that energy into the fire of transformation, we can ask for that negative energy to be transformed into gifts that honor and sustain the mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual body and heighten our awareness and vibrations of who we are as soul. And in doing so, over time, I guarantee this, in doing so, over time, we discover that we no longer wish to find peace and grace and love, but rather we start to become peace, grace, and love. And talk about the vibration we give off then. This sense of beingness generates a powerful, positive energy field or a very vibrant aura. And others can tell this even before we speak. You know, we, we no longer have to worry about what we're going to say in any, given, in any given situation. We can just simply be. And this is what it means to be sitting in silence. We find ourselves being fully present with ourselves and others, as well as we begin to experience God in the most unlikely places and in through the most unlikely people, which is actually where God has been found all along. Now, we humans always want to quantify things you know, such as we say, well, there's a third heaven, and we assume that it's better than the second heaven, so that we can then measure it, or we can weigh it, or compare its progress or regression, and determine whether it places us with something better or worse than what we had before. And there are descriptions out there of, say, the third, the fourth, and the fifth dimensions, and even higher dimensions, which are not places per se but rather they are dimensional or more attuned with, let's say, a perceptual awareness of the vastness of God and the universe. And as we become more aware of the increases in our dimensional awarenesses, our vibration changes to adapt, which must remain high enough to sustain. And this takes time. As we accept, we allow, and we integrate this vibrational awareness. You know, it explains how we further connect to God. We do have, uh, you know, scriptural examples of people who've had these kinds of experiences. If you recall the, you know, Saul on the road to Damascus, you know, or the visions of the prophets, you know, this, this kind of experience of God has always and will always be meant for the positive, life-changing, altering transformation. You know, there is Teresa of, of Avila, Francis of Assisi, and others who experienced the stigmata. And one of the teachings out there is that the goal at the end of this life is to make it to heaven, where we can fully experience the fullness of God. But we can experience the fullness of God now. Empathic resonance, that tuning fork, 
How do we bring our soul in alignment with the soul of God? How do we raise our vibrational levels? How then do we make silence our friend and be so comfortable in silence that we begin to hear all things? Because we're not listening with our ears, we're listening with our soul. You know, we can certainly grow in our understanding of who we are. And we can also experience that in the presence of God each and every day. It's not a place, like fifth dimension, fourth dimension, third dimension. It's not a place. It's rather a state of being. But sometimes when we say that we, oh yeah, we've heard angels sing and you know, sometimes we're accused of having audible, you know, visual or tactile hallucinations. And that science and spirituality part ways when it comes to intergenerational traumas. But we can hear the cries of our ancestors. And we know the energy of those who are stuck in the energy of the past. But there's also fifth dimensional energy. It heals. It restores. It's a place of no fear, but it also places a tremendous amount of responsibility on people in this dimension because it's not meant to be hoarded. It's not meant to be used to be manipulated, but rather fifth dimensional energy is intended to be blessed, shared, and gifted for others. You want to change the mind and stop manifesting negativity in your life, as well as moving into a higher spiritual dimensional relationship with God and yourself and others? Then be still like water. Sit in silence. Be in silence. Focus on forgiveness, gratitude, and love, and bring them into your heart. Bring them into your soul. I'm Dr. James Houck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. invite you to continue enjoying this uh, Thanksgiving Day weekend, uh, as long as we can be safe about it. We behave ourselves out there. And uh, just remember that silence is a good thing, because when we really enter it into that with a deeper, deeper, deeper understanding where we actually find the voice of God. Take care. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.